Let me just say one other thing on a more serious note. Speaking about being a family of God, and and I just want to say this right up front. It doesn't necessarily have anything uh, directly to do with where we're going in our teaching time today. Spent the day with the family yesterday. Was mostly off of social media. Wasn't really watching the news or reading things. Woke up this morning to read about some pretty disturbing events happening where uh, different groups are marching and literally waving Nazi flags and and talking about white power and, and some really disturbing things. And so I just want to say from the outset that we as the people of God, we are made up, a family made up from every nation, tribe, and tongue under the sun. And as followers of Jesus Christ, racism has no part in the life of the church, the life of a believer, the life of a follower of Jesus. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? And let me, let me just further say this, okay? Some of us might struggle with what to do, what to say, um, not only because are we geographically so far away from what's happening, and even in the Pacific Northwest, and I've, I've talked with African-American friends about this, in the South you have much more overt and kind of in-your-face racism. In the Pacific Northwest, the stuff we deal with largely is more passive-aggressive and a little bit more of a, let's just kind of sequester everybody off in their own. So, so maybe you struggle with what to do, what to say, particularly for those of you, my, my uh, Anglo brothers and sisters, uh, let's seek to have really good listening ears, okay? Let's seek to be uh, people who want to learn, listen, empathize, and then for any and all of us, even if we are disconnected and struggle with, with what to do or what to say, God's spirit is not bound by geography, and we all can pray that God would bring healing to our nation that is so fractured and broken by sin, and particularly in the area of race relations right now. I just want to say that up front. This is a big deal in our society, in our culture. Many of the people in your workplaces will be talking about it. Many of the people that you follow or friends you have on social media will be talking about it, and may we as the people of God pray against and reject racism in all its forms. Amen? So that's, uh, like I said, not particularly uh, directly tied, but it's still really relevant and really important. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open to Ephesians 4. And what I want to do is I want to set up our new sermon series that we're launching into today. I've been on vacation. Oh, no, I've been on a trip. I keep uh, defaulting on for three weeks, really thankful for the guest preachers we had come in. They said that you all were really um, like friendly and welcoming. I don't know, maybe they preach at the wrong place. No, I'm just kidding, you guys are amazing. They had nothing but nice things to say about all of you, and so I'm really grateful for your warm reception of them. Really grateful for the friends that have come and served us. I was thinking back, over the last two and a half years, we've had 12 different guest pastors from other churches come in and preach here, which is, I think, Pretty high, so I'm thankful for friends, partners in the gospel. But today we're going to start a new sermon series called Gifted, One Body, Many Parts. And the backstory to this sermon series, the kind of impetus or the drive behind the series is earlier this year, we did a church health survey. And no, it did not involve any push-ups or pull-ups. It was a church health survey to see how we're doing spiritually and relationally. And one of the areas that our church health team helped identify and, and bring to the elders was that many of the people in Sound City Bible Church either don't know what their spiritual gifts are or they don't know how to put them to use. And anecdotally, we already kind of knew that, but it was interesting to look at some data. A lot of people said, not really or no to, I know my gifts and I know how to use them. And so we said, you know what? We need to take some time, some focused, some intentional time to talk about the idea of spiritual gifts. Now, because we believe that each and every single one of you does have gifts given to you by the Holy Spirit. Every single person here If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given the Holy Spirit and you have certain gifts and talents and abilities that he wants you to use for his glory, for the help of others, and get this, for your own joy. Believe there's great joy to be had in in, in walking as God has created you. I also am, more than many of you, very aware that when we start using phrases like Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, uh, spiritual gifts, Catching the ghosts, right? <laughs> I probably won't use that, but I, I might. Just beware. When we start talking about the Holy Spirit, some of you might get a little bit of an eye twitch, right? You got some fear. You, you've seen some weird things said about spiritual gifts. And I just want to 
allay your fears. I will only be preaching half of this sermon in tongues today. So don't have any fears. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I understand those fears. I myself have had some strange experiences growing up in my life in the church, but we can't ignore a big topic that the Bible has to talk about just because some have maybe misused or, or abused it. And so here's the goal for the series, okay? And we're going to say this every week to remind you. So the goal for the series is this. We want to help the people of Sound City Bible Church understand spiritual gifts biblically, personally, and experientially. We want to help you understand what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. Not what the guy on TV has to say about spiritual gifts. Not what your great aunt has to say about spiritual gifts. What the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. So we're going to teach from the Bible every week. We want to help you understand what your spiritual gifts are personally. I'll talk more about this in upcoming weeks, but one of the things we're going to do is we're going to have kind of an online survey that you can take, you can fill out. It's not infallible by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a helpful tool to help you know what your spiritual gifts are, how God has gifted you, how God has created you. And then here's the scary one, experientially, that you would live a spirit-empowered life, that you would take those gifts that God has given to you and actually (gasps) use them. That's the part where things, that's where the rubber hits the road, right? That's where things can get a little bit scary. And so we want to walk through all three of those things. That's the goal. That's the hope. That's the prayer. And so I am asking you, Sound City Bible Church, will you pray through these next six weeks along those lines? God, help me to know my spiritual gifts. Help me to understand what your word teaches. Help me to put them to use. Will you join me in praying that prayer, Sound City? That's what I'm hoping for us. That's what we're, as an elder team, praying for over these next few weeks. And we will explain more as we go along. It really is going to be a, um, if you miss any, please try to go back on the website or on the podcast and listen to them because this really is going to be kind of a cohesive series that all works together. So before we go any further, let's do this. Let's invite uh, Shelly to come and do our scripture reading for today from Ephesians chapter 4, and then we'll pray and we'll start unpacking uh, this first teaching here today. Take it away, Shelly. This is God's word. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. God, we ask and pray for your Holy Spirit to come and and just be made manifest, be made known um, in a unique way today. God, we believe your presence is here with us, but would you give us uh, soft and receptive hearts to know and to understand um, who the Holy Spirit is, what he wants to do in our hearts, what he wants to do in our church, what he wants to do with our church family. I ask and pray, God, for myself that you'd guard my lips. Help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And God, I pray for these next six weeks as we look at the idea of spiritual gifts. God, I and and the elders are more convinced than ever that we're really at a crossroads as a church, God, that you have uh, some new territory, some new places that you want to take us. And so I pray that you would give us courage to follow you into the future that you have for us as a church. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Being in Alaska these last few weeks, visiting family uh, was a great time. 
you know, reminiscing, thinking about childhood memories. And, and there was one thing that was a, at least a little bit sad for me is uh, not getting to see my grandparents on my dad's side. I didn't get to see my grandmother. She lives up in Fairbanks. It's many hours away. And then actually my grandfather on that side, he passed away, I guess, a little over five years ago now. And when I think about my grandfather, see, I was the first grandchild on that side of the family. Uh, can you say spoiled? Uh, I, I got two trips to Hawaii and a trip to Disneyland and several trips to Arizona for spring training to go watch the now, now world champion Chicago Cubs. Uh, at the time, they were not so world champion. I thought I hated baseball as a kid. I'm like, no, actually, I just hated seeing my team lose every single day. When I would go to my grandparents' house, my grandpa, he, he had got me a bike he kept at the house. He, my grandpa taught me to ride a bike in his, in his uh, driveway. And uh, they had, you know those like, what do they call them? The power wheels, like those cars with a battery for kids where they can drive over their siblings. And uh, he had one of those, but it was like this cool six-wheel thing with a joystick. And it was very different than anything else. It made me drive over my siblings with more aggressive power. And there was one thing about going to my grandparents' house where my grandpa would say, oh, your grandma's busy let's make a trip to the cupboard. And I, oh, my eyes would always light up because I knew that the cupboard meant one of two things. Both were amazing. One, peanut M&Ms. Two, Twix. And I was into both as a child. And now that my grandpa has passed away, you know, I actually, you know, I think back on those memories and all those gifts, all those, those presents, that, whether it's the trips or the candy. And I actually, I don't, I don't miss those as much. I actually just miss my grandpa. I miss conversation with him. I miss learning about things from him. He was very knowledgeable, very capable man. Would always, always be up to teach you uh, things, uh, whether it was in his garden or how to drive a boat. One time as a child, he pretended to fall asleep in his airplane while I held onto the co-pilot stick. And at six years old, I thought, this is it. This is how I learned how to fly a plane. My grandpa's asleep and I'm gonna have to land this thing. We're probably all gonna die. But then he pretended, after he pretended to sleep, he woke up and told me, Never mind, I'll end it. So I just miss him. It's not all the gifts that I miss. I actually miss him. When we talk about spiritual gifts, I think it's very important that we don't focus on gifts without first focusing on the gift giver. Amen? And so we're going to talk about the one who gives gifts. We're going to talk about specifically the Holy Spirit. And again, Like I said a minute ago, there can be lots of fear when we talk about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, lots of controversy, lots of images that maybe come to mind. And I want to be sensitive to all of those. What I don't have time to do today is a full systematic theology study of the Holy Spirit. And so I would point you to our website where we've linked to some resources. One would be a book called The Forgotten God by a man named Francis Chan. Found that book to be very helpful and very accessible. It's not academic. It's not super hard to read. It's very pastoral, and it teaches a lot of good truth about who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in our lives. And then we also put up some resources that are video content uh, by Sinclair Ferguson about the Holy Spirit that's actually available on Right Now Media. Right Now Media is like a Netflix for Christian teaching, Bible teaching, Bible study, and we all have access to it as Sound City uh, community. If you're not using that, uh, definitely stop by the Connect Desk and get a login and all that because, man, there's some really good resources available on Right Now Media and would love for you to be taking advantage of that. But here's the big idea of where we're going for today, okay? Talking about the Holy Spirit, this. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to all believers and the greatest gift of all is salvation. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit. If you got your Bibles, Ephesians 4, I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has just spent three chapters talking about salvation, what salvation is, and now he's going to talk about the outworking of salvation. But there's kind of this transitional passage here. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, there he is, Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. A lot of repetition of the word all there. I had to look it up in the Greek. You know what it means? All. It's amazing. he's, He's speaking about the Holy Spirit being given to make us to be a body, 
And then he uses this language of called. You were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So what is this hope and what is this call? Friends, this is the language of salvation. This is the language of salvation. See, the idea of salvation, this foundational idea for us as Christians is this, that because of our sin, because of our rebellion and because of our folly, we've all wandered away from God. There's no one who has lived a righteous life. There's no one who has followed God's ways perfectly. We've all, it says like, like sheep, we've all wandered away. And if you've ever spent time around sheep, they are not intelligent animals. And it's not a flattering picture, but that we have all through sin and rebellion and foolishness, we've all wandered away from God, but that God through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the work that Jesus has done has now called us to himself. The spirit is involved. The greatest gift that the Holy Spirit gives before we talk about any other spiritual gift, we got to talk about salvation because this is the best one. That's the one that enables and empowers all of the other ones. I think we can see four things from these verses about salvation. The first is this. Salvation is Trinitarian. When we speak about salvation, and, and, and I, am, I am as guilty of this as anyone else, we can often focus almost exclusively on the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus is the one who came to earth, took on flesh, lived as a human, fully God, fully man. Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life. He never sinned. Unlike all of us, he lived a morally perfect life. Jesus is the one who went to the cross and died in our place. His blood was spilled for our forgiveness. Jesus is the one who, get this, rose from the dead on the third day. And Jesus is the one who ascended to the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us. He prays for us like we just sang a minute ago. He ever lives and pleads for me. Do we love Jesus? Let's try that again. Do we love Jesus? I, I caught you off guard. I could tell. You're like, yes, we do. But we want to be Trinitarian Christians as well. The Father is the one who ordained salvation. He is the one that said from eternity past that though we were going to rebel and though we would turn, that he would send the Son to accomplish our redemption. The Father's involved in salvation. And get this, the Spirit is involved in our salvation too. The Spirit is the one who applies redemption to us. It says in Ephesians 1, if you flip back just a few chapters, it says in Ephesians 1 that when you were sealed, when on the day that you believe, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit actually takes up residence in you, in your heart, in your mind, in your body, and regenerates you from the inside out so that even though outwardly we're still wasting away, inwardly we've been made alive. It's almost like sin has unplugged us from the source of power that we need. If you have, you know, your phone in your pocket, hopefully on silent mode right now, and you have your phone, you unplugged it from the wall, it's working right now still, but what's going to happen over the course of the day? Especially if you own an iPhone, it's going to die. It's going to just wear out and die. Sin is kind of like that. We've been disconnected from the source of life and power, God himself. But if you're a Christian, you've been given the Holy Spirit. And you are now inwardly, spiritually alive. And one day when Christ returns, we will see that come to full fruition when we're made bodily alive with Christ as well. Is that good news to anyone today? And some of you, maybe that's a little bit new for you because you've thought, well, wait a minute. I, I heard this one guy say that I, you know, I was a Christian, but now I have to receive the Holy Spirit. And, and he had a really nice suit and he spoke very loud. And I, I'm, I don't know, do I have the Holy Spirit or not? Let me, let me, let me try this. Okay. If you are a Christian by grace through faith, you've believed in Jesus, raise your hand. Okay. Now put your hands down. If you have the Holy Spirit alive within you, raise your hand then that should be the same set of hands, okay? We do need to constantly be filled with the Spirit. Paul talks in that language. It's almost like we, we leak the Holy Spirit. We just need to be ongoing, filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you are a Christian, you have already received the Holy Spirit. You already caught the Holy Ghost. See, there I go again, right? So salvation is Trinitarian. When we talk about salvation, when we talk about everything, we want to be Trinitarian Christians. And that means accepting and embracing the work of the Holy Spirit. For many Christians, 
particularly us Bible-focused Christians, we can have a functional trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And we can ignore the role and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Look, I love the Bible. I have dedicated my life to, to understanding and learning and teaching this book. But the Bible is not God. The Bible is given to us by God. It is the Word of God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I hope and I pray, as much as we love the Scriptures, we love, I mean, the Holy Spirit inspired these words to be written. We need to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually and corporately as a church. Second thing we can see about salvation from these verses is that salvation is personal. It's not impersonal. You were called. Think about that language. You were called. That means you didn't do enough good religious things. You didn't check enough boxes. You didn't fill out an online form. You didn't sneak into the family of God through a side door that God accidentally left open. It's a big family with lots of kids. He didn't really notice you were there. No, you were called. If you are saved, if you are a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, then God wants you. He knows you by name. He knows even how many hairs you have on your head. You are dearly loved. Your salvation is not an accident. It's a personal thing. It's not an impersonal thing. And the Holy Spirit is personal. When the Holy Spirit calls you, see, that, see sometimes, <laughs> whether intentionally or unintentionally, we can speak about the Holy Spirit kind of like the force in Star Wars, right? It's an energy field that binds us all, all living things together. It moves between, yeah, I've seen it a few times, okay? That, you know that indie film, Star Wars? You guys have heard of it, right? <laughs> it's going to make it someday, I, I swear. The Holy Spirit does not work like the force. The Holy Spirit is a person. In Acts chapter 5, the apostle Peter says, he, he's rebuking someone. You, you've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. He uses God and Holy Spirit in back-to-back -back sentences. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the apostle Paul says, God's spirit, his Holy Spirit lives in you. And then he says, you're a temple for God. That God and the Holy Spirit lives within you. In, in Ephesians, later in chapter 4, it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Meaning that the Holy Spirit can, can be grieved or can be displeased. That's not the force. That's not an energy field. That is a personal God. That the Holy Spirit is fully God. No, the Holy Spirit is not the Son or the Father, but he is fully God. He is personal. Therefore, salvation is personal. Number three, salvation is available to all. Do you see all that all language? God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, in all. God's salvation is available to who? All. That God's plan since the beginning of time has been to redeem and to rescue for himself one family made up from people of every nation, tongue, and tribe. And that means two things. Number one, that means that if you are already a Christian, you do not get to look at anyone else and say, well, they're beyond the saving reach of God's grace. You can't do that. That is wrong. Do not look at anyone as though they were beyond God's grace because A, you're not God. You don't know. And B, you're not God and you don't know. But it also means this. If you're someone who's here today and, and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer in Jesus, and you think about all the wrong things you've done or the mistakes you've made or not even the mistakes, the things you've done on purpose, and you think, yeah, that, that grace talk and that forgiveness talk, that sounds really good for somebody else, but I'm pretty sure I have to get myself good enough before God would ever love me or accept me. I'm here to tell you today I've got great news. God's salvation is available to all. And it does not matter what you have done. It does not matter what your color of skin is. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't even matter how nice you are. You know why some Christians are such jerks? Because they're the people that need God's grace. If you're a really, really nice person by nature, you might be tempted to think that you don't need God's grace. Friends, if you're someone who has not yet trusted in Jesus, I'm here to tell you, you're not beyond the reach of his love and mercy and grace. It's available to all. Freely come. Freely receive the gift of God's grace. Number four, though, I want you to see this, that salvation is ultimately the God. God gives us the gift of himself. If you go back in the earliest parts of the Bible, when God calls his people out of slavery in Egypt, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. We will be together. And when, when God 
gives, uh, you know, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, these pictures about how it's going to be. He says, you know, we'll, uh, the dwelling place of God will be with man, like in Isaiah. And you can see this picture. And then in Revelation, heaven comes crashing into earth and God is with man. That God's desire is that we would be in relationship with each other, communing together. So when you receive salvation, sometimes we can talk about it like it's, like it's this transactional thing. Actually, the Bible uses this language, right? Um, sin is like debt, and receiving God's grace is like having your debt forgiven. But there's something really important that I think we forget sometimes. When you and I get into debt, not saying we ever would, but if you and I ever got into debt, who would we get in debt to? Bank, yep. Credit card, bank, maybe an auto a dealership, a furniture store, mob boss. Do we need to talk afterwards, bro? Um, maybe. Uh, actually, funny enough, so most of our debt, you just threw me way off, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to tie it together. We, we, most of our debt is, is kind of impersonal in nature, even a hospital, right? I remember, I think Kyle was when talking, told a testimony once of having his debt forgiven by a hospital, but you probably got an email from customer care at seattlechildrens.com or whatever, right? It's very impersonal. In the ancient Near Eastern world, when you got in debt, you got in debt to a benefactor. They didn't have, you know, Wells Fargo Nazareth for you to go down and apply for a home equity line of credit. You got indebted to either a family member, a wealthy benefactor, somebody you knew. And so there was a much closer relational uh, factor there. So when the Bible talks about debt forgiveness, it's a big deal. And oh, by the way, there was no bankruptcy. There was just, you know, prison or slavery. So even those metaphors are relational in nature. Friends, may we know the presence of the Holy Spirit because in that we are receiving the gift, the greatest gift of relationship with God. It is God giving himself to us. Think about that language. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. I just said that a minute ago like it was no big thing. Think about that. When Solomon, I've been reading through 1 Kings lately, when Solomon dedicated the temple, even he goes, God, this is kind of ridiculous. I'm paraphrasing. This is ridiculous. You can't actually live in this building. The whole heavens can't contain you, but if you would, please uh, meet with your people here in this temple. Well, the temple was destroyed. And you know what Jesus said is the new temple? We are. The God's spirit now temples, now tabernacles, now lives within each of us as individual disciples and within us corporately as his church. What a mind-blowing thing. So the Holy Spirit gives us salvation, Trinitarian salvation, personal, relational salvation that's available to all. But then we see, now let's go into verse seven. We see that the Holy Spirit, he doesn't just stop there. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So now we've, Moved into the topic of spiritual gifts here. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. I'm going to skip over verses 9 and 10. They're kind of a parenthetical little section about Jesus and him descending to the earth, rising again, all great stuff. I just want to stay focused on this subject of gifts. And that's a kind of a parenthetical uh, section anyways. Verse 11, and he gave, so he's more giving, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Let's pause there for just a minute. This word grace in the Greek is charisma and it literally means a gift. If you were to give a gift, you know, to a king, a patriot, you'd, you'd give a charisma, you'd give a grace. Now grace is multifaceted. When God gives us grace, let's say capital G grace, this is salvation. This is forgiveness of sin. This is the big, big, big one that we just talked about. But how many of you know that God gives more grace and grace upon grace, gift upon gift, um, a multifaceted grace so big that we're going to spend all of eternity marveling at God's amazing grace. And so when it says here he gave gifts to men, we're kind of moving into another sense in which we receive these gifts. So let me say a couple of things. Number one, each one of you has received gifts from God. There is no person here who is a Christian that can say, I don't have any spiritual gifts. It's not true. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you have salvation, you have 
A, the biggest spiritual gift of all, but B, there are more gifts that you may not even be aware of that God has given to you through his Holy Spirit. But I like how it says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know what that means? It's according to his decision, not ours. We don't get to have the spiritual gifts necessarily that we just choose. I just chose to have the spiritual gift of healing. You don't get to have the spiritual gift that your parents choose for you or the pastor chooses for you or the small group leader chooses for you. You get the gifts that God chooses for you. And let me just say, A, that can be very encouraging, but for some of you it can be very discouraging because of this um, diagnosable condition called gift envy. Anybody know about gift envy? It happens when, particularly when you see somebody with like a really, like a shiny noticeable gift you know, a speaking gift, a singing gift, you know, they're, they're out front, they're noticeable, and, and we start to think, oh, either A, I want that gift, and your heart gives place to envy, which, by the way, nothing will rob joy quite as fast as envy. Or if it's not envy, then it's just despair. Well, I don't have their gift, I can't stand up and teach or I can't stand up and sing or I can't, you know, administrate and organize 500 volunteers so I must not be very gifted. According to the gifts that he gives. Now, I want to address this passage specifically for a minute because there, there are basically five different passages in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. There's actually two in 1 Corinthians 12. First uh, Peter 4, and then this passage in Ephesians 4, none of them match up. Some overlap, but they're all different. And what, what that leads me to conclude is that none of these spiritual gift lists is a comprehensive list, but they're more of a representative list. They show us the kinds of things that God gifts us to do. And in this particular passage, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is addressing leadership gifts. So let me talk about leadership gifts for just a minute. I want to address this passage while we're here. We're going to get to all those passages over the course of the series. But he lists five words, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Let me break those down briefly. Again, each one of these could probably be a whole sermon in and of themselves. But let me just take a few moments. Apostle. How many of you heard the word apostle, right? Okay, the Apostles' Creed. All the word apostle, in its simplest form, it means one who is sent with a message. Those of you parents, you have like a downstairs and upstairs in your house. You're like, hey, go apostle your siblings that dinner is ready, right? Like, go and send the message. Now, the Bible uses this word apostle. This is a New Testament only word, by the way. This is not in the Old Testament. It's a New Testament Greek word. And it, it uses this word kind of in two ways. And I'm going to call them lowercase a apostle and capital A apostle. Lowercase a apostle just simply means one who is sent with a message. They travel, they go. Uh, Paul refers to Eutychus as, you know, my apostle who's coming with a message for you. And I think at the end of Romans, he uses that word again. So it's used more or less informally, lowercase a apostle, just a messenger, someone who travels around. But the, the word apostle is also used in a capital A sense in the New Testament where Paul and Peter in specific use this word about themselves. And then they go so far as to say that if you do not receive the message that I'm delivering to you, you are rejecting the very words of God. This is a formal, this is a capital A apostle. This is a, you'd better listen because these men are claiming something audacious. They are claiming to speak on behalf of God. And we believe that God did something unique in this period of the church where he spoke through the apostles, capital A apostles, to give us the scripture, the written word of God. We believe that this scripture, this canon of scripture is closed. Pop quiz, can we add to or take anything away from the word of God? No, great job, you pass. I will now let you leave uh, the church service here at the end because otherwise we're gonna have to go into a whole different uh, conversation. So in that sense, capital A apostle, that is not something that is in operation in the church today. Nobody gets to stand up and say, I now have authoritative word of God on par with scripture. If someone ever does say that to you, please run away quickly 
Because I have sadly known at least three families in, in my life who have bought into a messenger, an apostle, a prophet who spoke with that type of authority and it was devastating. The gift of apostleship, I do believe there are some that have an apostolic type of gift. I actually used to work for a pastor, uh, the senior pastor of our church in Alaska, uh, had a very apostolic gift. He would travel around a lot, could relate to a lot of different people in a lot of different cultures. He was often sent and sending with, with the message of the good news, but he was like a lowercase a apostle, uh, and, that's, and he didn't call himself an apostle, and it didn't get weird. He just had an apostolic type of gifting. Some of you, that may be. But as far as capital A apostle, that was a kind of a one and done season. Amen? Similarly with prophet, prophet's an interesting word. When we think about the word prophet, that's both an Old and New Testament word. But the word prophet simply means someone who communicates God's truth. When we think of prophet, especially in our day and age, many of us think of telling the future, right? Gazing into my crystal ball and putting on a turban, maybe not that. But, but prophecy is all about the future. When someone gives a prophecy, they're telling us and there's a blood moon that's gonna happen or whatever, right? And when you look at the nature of prophecy though, yes, sometimes there was a predictive element to it, but by and large, do you know what the prophet said? Repent, y'all are sinning. They said it in Hebrew, but that's what they said, right? <laughs> they, would, they would speak God's truth. Hey, here's, you're neglecting the poor. You're worshiping idols. Repent. God's judgment will come. Now, sometimes, yes, they did have, hey, in 40 weeks, this is going to happen. There was a, a future predictive type of an element. But by and large, prophecy was delivered to speak truth about who God is and about our need for his grace. In the Old Testament, there was a very specific set. Men and women would prophesy, prophesy, but there was a high standard. Do you know what would happen if they were found to be giving false prophecy? If they predicted about the future and it didn't come true, do you know what happened? Put to death. But God began to speak. He says, hey, in the, in the latter days, in the end times, which is after Jesus, that's where we are now, he says, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh and young and old men and women all will be able to prophesy which means anybody who has the Holy Spirit is able to communicate God's truth. Now, again, not a capital P prophet. I like what uh, Sam Storms, he's a pastor and an author. Uh, he refers to the New Testament as the democratization of the Holy Spirit. Instead of a select few having this ability, all of God's people are able to know and understand and teach and speak God's truth. So some of you have a prophetic gift. Now, here we are. We're 20 minutes into this sermon series. I've already freaked everybody out, right? Some of you might have a gift of prophecy. And I don't necessarily mean that you can predict the future. What I mean is you have an ability to understand and articulate truth about God in an effective and insightful, sometimes a cutting and even divisive sort of a way. You have an ability to see through the fog. You have an ability to discern truth from, from a lie and you're able to speak and communicate those things. Some of you have a really bizarre kind of unbiblical picture of what prophecy looks like. So some of you are maybe called to teach or to speak or to do certain things with that, with that gift of being able to tell God's truth. Again, not a capital P prophet, not a I have direct revelation from God that is on par with scripture, never but a prophetic type of gift where you can read the scripture and you can pray and you can understand truth about God and you can communicate to others. Evangelist. An evangelist is a good news bringer. The word evangelist just comes from euangelion in the Greek, which means good news. And often it would be someone who would come riding back into town after the king or whoever had led a successful battle. They would come riding back into town and they were an evangelist. They were a, a euangelion bringer. Good news. The king has won. Guess what, friends? Our king has won. His name is Jesus. Now, every Christian has the responsibility to share this good news. Can I get an amen, even a tepid one from everyone, right? Every Christian has the responsibility to share the good news of Jesus, but there are some who will be more uniquely gifted to do this. 
My parents, both my mom and my dad, have a gift of evangelism, and I didn't get it. My, one of my really best friends, he's a pastor in Alaska, he has a gift of evangelism. I've had this multiple times with people where you literally cannot go to the coffee shop and order a latte without the barista breaking down in tears, talking about their divorce. And before you know it, the person with the gift of evangelism is telling them about Jesus and they need to come to church and you need to give your life to Jesus. I'm like, what just happened here? I asked for a little bit extra foam and now we're getting a sermon in here, right? Like, it's a, it's a strange thing when you're around somebody with a gift of evangelism. L- let, me, let me just reiterate. Who has the responsibility to share the gospel? All, all of us, anyone who has been saved by Jesus, but there are those who are particularly gifted at sharing the good news. This is, I'm going to go out a little bit risky here. If you think that you might have an evangelistic type gifting, if you find yourself in conversations with people fairly often without even really trying, would you please be brave and raise your hand? All right, Kyle, I'm just looking at you directly. Thank you. Jim and Shelly, thank you. Who else? Who else? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Okay. All right, a few of you. That's good. Because... I would say this is probably one of the areas where Sound City Bible Church needs to grow the most. And so for those of you with an evangelistic gifting, even if you think or maybe you're exploring it and maybe you were maybe too nervous to like raise your hand up or you're not sure, my prayer, and I'm asking all of you to pray that God would raise up uh, people with an evangelistic type of gifting to help Sound City Bible Church really move forward in health and maturity. One more, and you're like, wait a minute, Aaron, there were two words. Yes, shepherd and teacher. However, in the grammatical construction, there is no ha, the, the definite article before teacher. There's only the chi and in the Granville Sharp rule that states that, the, okay, it's totally nerdy and totally ridiculous, but I believe that what Paul is saying here under the inspiration of the Spirit is like a shepherd slash teacher. And I have very nerdy grammatical reasons to defend that. I won't bore you with them now. But what he's talking about here is the gift of the leadership role of a shepherd teacher, also known as a pastor, also known as an elder or an overseer. Because in 1 Timothy 3, it talks about the overseers must be able to teach. So a shepherd, or what we we use the word pastor, means one who cares for and loves and protects and leads and teaches the sheep, the flock of God. So this is another leadership gift that God gives to the church. I am thankful for the other men that serve as pastors in this church. I have been richly blessed by their friendship, by their counsel, by their wisdom, and yes, even by their correction in my life. And I think each one of those men would say the same. And I'm thankful that God has given us a team of elders because that is what we see as the most biblical pattern, this plurality of elders, this plurality of teachers, These are not the only gifts, by the way, given to the church, but they are some foundational ones. The apostles who gave us the New Testament, the prophets that give us the Old Testament, evangelists who go out and share the good news, and the the shepherds and teachers who who lead the people and love and serve the people. But (laughs) let's go back to the verse, because one of the dangers you can run into with leadership giftings is leadership gifting becomes all about the leader. What does it say? Let's go back to that verse. It says he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the who for the work of the what? Okay, pet peeve time, all right? I don't have many pet peeves. That's a lie. But one of my pet peeves is this idea that we have bought into for far too long in the church that there are some clergy and there are some laity, there are some professional Christians who are supposed to do the work of the ministry and there's a bunch of sheeple who just attend and give and follow. And I, it drives me nuts because it is about as unbiblical as you can get. Right there it says to equip the saints. No, saints are not uber spiritual people who get a statue put up of them. Saints are you if you're a Christian. You are the ones that God has put leaders in place to empower you and to equip you for the work of the ministry. I am so thankful for people with leadership giftings. I am so thankful that that they have those unique giftings. I believe myself to be one of them. But if the leadership gifting ever circles back around and becomes all about the leader, then it has failed. Because the leadership gifting is to empower all of the saints for the work of the ministry. Today, I don't know if you know this, preseason football starts today. Anybody excited, right? Seahawks are taking on the whomever that they're going to beat and uh, the Chargers. And, and 
you know, Russell Wilson is the quarterback and that's a leadership role. There's no denying when you're the quarterback of the team, you have a leadership role. But what if the entire offensive line went out there and said, well, because we don't have this leadership role, we don't have to play. I know there have been some games where it looked like the offensive line said they didn't have to play, but I'm just saying like, what if that was their actual mentality? Friends, it would be a disaster as it has been in several of the games. It is a disaster in the church when people believe that just because they don't have one of these special leadership gifts that you have no part to play. That's a demonic lie. You have a part to play. And and I'm going to go so far as to show you even in just a minute that without you, we are not a healthy functioning body. The Holy Spirit gives salvation. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. Man, this is the problem when you go on vacation, you preach way too long. Okay, bear with me. For the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. What a phrase. The stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, here's what we want instead. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way. How many ways are we supposed to grow up? Every way into him who is the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body, there's our word again, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Couple of quick thoughts on this. Um, is that language of the body? Jesus is the head, and in the body there are many different parts. So that's an analogy we're going to just keep coming back to over and over and over in this series. One body, many parts. It's a biblical analogy. We're going to see it in multiple passages. The other thing, though, that <laughs> this is interesting to me: when you start talking about spiritual gifts. I know this is going to be, sound pointed, but sometimes the people who talk the most about the spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit demonstrate some profound immaturity. They don't exhibit a lot of the fruit of the Spirit. They just have a lot of the talk of the Spirit. Actually, it's really quite fascinating to think. It's not some new problem. It's not a new problem. 1 Corinthians, the book of the Bible that talks the most about spiritual gifts. You ever read the book of 1 Corinthians? A church was messed up. And yet they had all these people with gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues and all these, like just a lot of talk about spiritual gifts. They were really immature. God gives gifts through the Holy Spirit that we might mature. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, it says. What does this maturity look like? What does this maturity, how how does it play itself out? A couple of ways. First of all, maturity means unity. Unity of the faith. It says right there, um, (laughs) when the Holy Spirit is work, there will be unity. Not uniformity. There's a difference. You know the difference between unity and uniformity? Uniformity is everyone is the exact same. Everyone has to look the same. Everyone has to think the exact same. Everyone has to act the exact same. As a matter of fact, that's a really unbiblical picture. We're going to talk about this extensively next week. The diversity of gifts, the diversity of parts in the body. But unity means they're all working together. They're all working together for the common good. I I learned something over the weekend um, uh, with, sorry, all the sports analogies, but I'm just excited. Uh, Edgar Martinez. You guys heard of Edgar Martinez? Mariners retired his number over the weekend. And, uh, you know, 18-year career, likely a Hall of Famer, 1,000 doubles, all that sort of stuff. I did not know, and I can't think of the name of it right now off the top of my head, but he has an eye condition where his eyes don't track together. And he had to do, I'm not joking, eyeball exercises over his 18-year career to make sure that he could see the ball well and he could hit it. When you don't have your eyes working together, when, when you only have one eye or if they're not tracking together, you don't have perspective. When your eyes are working in a disjointed way, you, you, you don't have, you trip, fall, whatever. You, you, you have a much more difficult time operating. The body of Christ needs diversity. We need diverse eyeballs, Okay but we need to be working together in unity with one thing that we're focused on, Jesus Christ. 
one goal in mind, following him. So where there's a lack of maturity, well, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to work to bring maturity in unity. Second thing that maturity is going to look like is discernment. Knowledge and discernment. Look at all this stuff it says to, you know, uh, till we reach the unity of the faith. Uh, he talks about uh, not being children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So <laughs> when we were in Alaska, probably not the best decision my brother and I have ever made, but we took six children ages like 11 and under out on the boat to go pull up shrimp pots and halibut lines and uh, it was a rough day and we put all the kids up on the nose of the boat where their feet were like dangling and there was like a little handrail and we were in the back pulling up shrimp pots and, and it was kind of, a wind was blowing. It was kind of a rough day out on the sea where it's bobbing up and down and I just had this thought. I'm like, man, I'm really glad my wife is not here. And then I had a, and then I even scared. I'm like, I'm really glad my mom is not here right now because like some kid's going to fall off the boat and the wind and the waves. We're going to have to like just grab onto the shrimp pot. We'll pull you up and like, that was, a bad, that was a bad picture. Paul uses this analogy for those of us that don't mature in our knowledge and in our discernment about the truth of what God says about himself. Wind and waves, they come, they go. They're here today, they're gone the next minute. Wind and waves are transient. A lot of what people say about God is transient. It's trendy. Oh, what do we say about God today? What do we say about God tomorrow? What people are saying about God wasn't popular or cool five minutes ago. It comes and it goes. And actually, some people are intentionally cunning and crafty and deceitful and want to lie to you about God because it either A, makes them popular or B, makes them money or C, both. We want to be Holy Spirit Christians who have maturity in discernment and knowledge. However, the third thing that we can see that maturity means is love. Look what it says. From whom the whole body and joint held together with which is equipped, each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. And actually, you can see this come together where it talks about speaking the truth in love. Verse 15, we're supposed to speak the truth. There's the discernment part, but in love. Okay, I went downtown Seattle twice this last week. Try to never do that. But, but Friday night, we had our, our church night out for the Mariners game. And Wednesday night, I went to uh, an event that was loud at CenturyLink Field. It rhymes with Batalica. And... <laughs> <laughs> and both events are the bullhorn poster board sign guys. You know who I'm talking about? And I was, I was trying my best to just listen. I actually have had a conversation with some of those guys before. I said, hey, like, uh, what's your conversion rate, success rate? And uh, they didn't answer that question. It was weird. But um, I was sitting there thinking like, okay, what was printed on the signs was pretty much all Bible verses. The things that they were saying, actually, I'm listening are largely things I would agree with. Sin is rebellion against God. Unless you repent, there will be judgment. Jesus died to give you free. I'm listening, I'm like, okay. I actually can get with those guys, but do you know what they're doing? They are doing truth without any of the love. There are some, based on your personality type, how God's wired you, you might drift into the all love with no truth. I just want people to feel good. And yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what the Bible says. And there's some hard parts and it's embarrassing. Let's just, just come and get a hug. And get, you're, you're people who like, you know, you do things like cry and have emotions and care for people. And, but you do need to be careful that if you do not have truth in love, you're not actually offering people love. It's a sub biblical, a sub God definition of love. Others of you, you might really trend towards the truth side of things, but you know what you turn into? A hammer that breaks people. Speaking the truth in love. Maturity, yes, means discernment, but maturity means love and care and compassion and grace and wanting to see people flourish and thrive. And the last thing that maturity means, it says that each part will be working properly. Did you notice how it said that? Each part fitted together, every, every joint, where'd it go? Every 
joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me just say this. If we as a church don't have every part working properly, then we are not a healthy church by definition. You ever heard of the, uh, the 80-20 principle? 20% of the people do 80% of the work? In a body, when certain organs shut down or things don't work, other parts of the body will start to compensate more or work harder to try to make up for it. And then what happens is those organs or those muscles will get fatigued and will lead to further injuries and further complications. That analogy of the body is really interesting when it comes to the church. Some of you are very faithfully serving, very faithfully contributing, both within the church as well as outside of the church. Thank you. I would like you to please offer yourself a measure of grace. What I'm about to say uh, is not for you to just do more and try harder. But there are some of you, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be, a, can I just be honest? Can I? It's church. Can I be honest? Okay. Thank you. With love. Yes. Okay. Good, good check. I appreciate that. <laughs> Sound City Bible Church launched out of another church that um, shut down. Uh, great season of difficulty, great season of pain. Some of you are new, you have no idea what you're talking about. Praise Jesus, you are a blessed person, okay? <laughs> but for those of you who are around, you know it was a really difficult season. And while there were some amazing things about that church, there were some really unhealthy dynamics. And one of the unhealthy dynamics was this, this culture of just go, 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 do, 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 more, more, more all the time. And a lot of people felt burnt out and fried out. And, and I've been so thankful for our elders. I've been so thankful for the staff. who We've really worked hard to try to contribute to a healthier environment where, where people know like, hey, A, your service and, and your, your contribution is valued and, and you're loved and, and people have, can have access. Like, hey, when you're struggling, like, hey, just come and let us know. Um, actually, where, I'm going to pick on somebody. Where's Elizabeth? Elizabeth right there. Do you guys love when Elizabeth leads music? You guys love Elizabeth? Yeah, I love it. So, Elizabeth, when is your due date? When are you having your baby? Yeah. First time mom. Trevor's serving on security somewhere. I don't feel safe even with that, but it's fine. We, 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 Elizabeth's like, I need, to, I need to take some time off from serving. So if you guys don't see her leading music for six months, that's why. That's the kind of stuff that we want to be able to do to love and, and care for people so they don't get burned out. So I'm sorry to pick on you. You need to take six months off? Maybe more? <laughs> okay, we're going to have an accountability session right here. Listen, but I will say this, that with coming out of that unhealthy family dynamic, that unhealthy culture, there are some who might be tempted to pull the steering wheel into the opposite ditch. Oh, I was so unhealthy, always working, always driving. I don't have to do anything now. And not only is that unhealthy for you, but it's unhealthy and unhelpful for the rest of the body. I believe that Sound City Bible Church, we as the elder team, we believe that Sound City is at a bit of a crossroads right now. As we get ready to head into the fall, start kind of another, you know, ministry year, people start coming back from summer vacations and, and new families start joining the church. It happens every fall and we start heading toward Easter. And, and, and I believe we're a bit at a crossroads here. I believe that God in his grace has given us uh, kind of an extra measure of his grace over these last two years to have some comforts and some convenience and some peace that we, we desperately needed, especially those of you who came out of the, the shutdown of Mars Hill. But I believe we're at a crossroads now where God's kind of putting before us a choice. Do you want to be a nice, safe, comfortable, suburban church where the preaching is okay and the music's pretty good and we just kind of get to come to church and the kids, you know, it's great. There's always kids program. Actually, some of you might've noticed there's a little bit extra kid noise in here today. Do you know why? So we had to shut down some classes. It was, it was actually particularly noticeable in the 9 a.m. service. Now, I'm not saying this, those of you, again, who are serving faithfully, this is not to put guilt on you, but I am trying to invite some of you who maybe not been contributing at all. Like, hey, this is your time to get in. Others of you, God's put some passion in your heart or some desire in your heart and you're fearful, you're scared. I want to do what God's asked me to, but I don't know how. Okay, well then let's talk about that. Let us help you. Let those in your life who know you best help you understand and discern what your spiritual gifts are. 
Let us walk with you so that we don't drift into the idols of suburbia, of just comfort and convenience, but that we would be a church that is radical in our commitment to the mission that God's given to us, not because our confidence is in ourselves, but because we're so full of the Holy Spirit that we can't help but do what he's calling us to do. That's my hope and my prayer for us as a church. One of the pastors I served under, he used the phrase naturally supernatural lives. And I want to borrow that phrase. I want to bring it to life here at Sound City Bible Church. I don't want our church to be able to be explained. I don't want my life to be able to be explained in purely natural terms. I want my life to demand a Holy Spirit gospel explanation. How about you? If you could just explain your life or you could explain this church in just purely natural terms. Oh, well, they had a really nice building and they had some real wealthy donors who gave it. I don't want any of that. I want people to look and say, man, God showed up. God did something radical in the lives of those believers and they were just so charged up by the power of the Holy Spirit that they both put their hands to the plow, engaged in mission, served, worked really hard, but also loved each other in the process of it and had remarkable unity and discernment and love and maturity. I want a Holy Spirit explanation for Sound City Bible Church and I believe we have a choice to make, church family. So over these next six weeks, I am going to invite you to pray some radical, dangerous prayers. And I believe if you start praying these prayers, the Holy Spirit will show up and he'll start to mess with you. And that would be maybe a little bit fearful, but if you let him have his way in your life, it'd be the best thing that ever happened to you. God, I ask and I pray for those who, God, just come here today with burdens or with fears, or with even wounds, God, past uh, church experience or family experience or whatever it might be, God, where they're nervous about engaging with the activity of the Holy Spirit. I, God, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit, Spirit, you who are our comforter, the spirit of comfort, would even come to minister healing in our hearts right now. God, I ask and I pray that you would help us to not give place to fear, but to boldly engage with the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would help us over these next six weeks, but even beyond for the next months and years to come, that we would be a church that demands a Holy Spirit and gospel explanation, not just a natural church, but a naturally supernatural church. We pray all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Friends, I want to invite you to a time of response. If the financial stewards would uh, begin to collect the offering, we're going to give as an act of worshipful response to the God who has given us all this grace. If you're a guest or a visitor, please know there's no obligation to give. I don't want this to be some weird thing, but this is an opportunity for us to engage in worship of God. We're going to invite our younger students class to join us for this time of singing and response. In a minute, we're going to uh, celebrate the Lord's table together. But before we do that, let me bring up some discussion questions to talk about in our community groups and in our homes this week. Number one, when you hear the phrase spiritual gifts, what comes to mind? What fears, assumptions, or concerns might you have? And I'm guessing there's at least some. Second is, what is the Holy Spirit's role in salvation? And how does uh, knowing that salvation is personal, how does that encourage you and, and comfort you? Number three, here's where we start meddling. How active is the Holy Spirit in your life? What about in Sound City? And what about your community group? How can we grow in our dependence on the Holy Spirit, both individually and corporately? And then number four, what is your hope for this six-week series? How are you hoping to grow? How is God already stirring in your heart to take action? And a couple things to pray about. Pray that your life would be shaped by the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit. And then number two, pray that over the next few weeks, God would help you to identify your unique spiritual gifts and how you're to put them to use for the sake of the gospel. As mentioned, we're gonna have an online tool to help you with that. We'll explain more in upcoming weeks. But right now I would encourage you to just start talking with those people who, who know you best, who could actually speak into your life and be praying and asking God to show you what are those gifts that you've given to me. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table and I'll invite our musicians to come as well as we prepare to celebrate communion and sing together. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. I'll invite you to hold on to these elements and we'll celebrate together in just a minute. Paul writes that I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, 
He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, this, this is a celebration of Christ's death and resurrection and our salvation that the Holy Spirit gave to us. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So this is a time for you to examine yourself. God, where have I been fearful? Where have I not let the Holy Spirit lead and guide me? God, where am I just needing to grow in maturity and love? Or where am I needing to grow in discernment and knowledge? Whatever God was going to bring to your heart, this is the time to prayerfully examine. While they finish passing out, let me just pray and then the musicians will begin to lead us in in a time of singing and response. God, I'm asking right now for your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and to fill this room, God. I'm asking and I'm praying that you would do a powerful work in us today as we sing God, as we eat of the bread and as we drink of the cup, I ask and I pray that you would break down fears in our lives. God, I ask and I pray that you'd begin to just stir our hearts with passion and conviction for the parts that you want us to play, not only here within this church family, but going outside of the walls of the church to serve the communities where we live, to serve in our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, our communities. God, I'm asking and I'm praying that Sound City Bible Church would not be able to be explained by purely natural words, but God, we would just require a supernatural explanation, a Holy Spirit explanation, a gospel explanation. And I'm praying now that you would begin to speak to our hearts individually and corporately as we turn to you in this time of response. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.